Ani everybody. Ntishna class, Miss Kopaginikwe. Mika Nakando Dem. Spimming in Donjiba. Hey everybody. Red Pipe Woman is my Ojibwe name, and Leora Chatterson is my English name. My family is of the Turtle Clan, and I live here in Ishpeming, Michigan. I'm one of your hosts for season two of Broken Lands, a podcast about truth-telling, racial reconciliation, and the examination of diverse contemporary activism. Broken Lands is produced by Together Here Ministries of the Northeastern Minnesota Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America in association with Walks Back Collective. All right. Welcome, Margot, to our Broken Lands podcast. This is our second season, and I'm really happy to have you here with us uh, to have a conversation and to see where that goes. Um, sure. We really want to curate this space to be a place where you could open your heart and bring your medicine forward if you so choose. Uh, we know that um, there's a movie coming out that uh, a lot of people might want to hear about, but we also know that you're a heck of a lot more than just this movie and this story because oh, yeah. You know what trust really is at the core. I've I've uh, looked through some of your uh, bio data, as they call it, and I just wonder if you could kindly introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you. I'm Marco Gray. I'm Osage. I live here on the Osage Reservation here in Pahasco, Oklahoma, but it wasn't until I was like 13 and I found out the story of my family's history, or my personal story, which is more known as the reign of terror of the Osages during about 100 years ago. Uh, we were forced removed from St. Louis to Kansas, and then here we had to buy our own reservation land um, well over about 140 years ago. And so this is home now. And um, when I was 13, my brother was telling myself and my younger brother, we're the sixth and seventh children of seven, uh, about the murder of my grandfather and the suspicious murder of my grandmother, my great-grandfather and my grandmother. And so um, the woman who I always called my grandma, um, I found out was a relative, like a, a great aunt. But she stepped in, and, and when my mother's, um, my grandmother Grace was um, suspiciously murdered, she just ran off the road. There's two cars, and then there was a bridge, and she had nowhere to go. And so there was a crash. And then my great grandfather was part of the Reign of Terror. That is part of the movie. It's a real story, and it's just one story of many here at Osage. He was Henry Rome. And then to find out all about his murder, how it was part of the um, a Supreme Court decision that had that impacted felony charges on trust land. So that was historic in itself in 1926. And so that changed my idea of who I wanted to be. At the time I found this story out, I had four siblings who were up at Wounded Knee and they were um, um, activists within with AIM. And so against, you know, 
the Department of the Interior, the treatment of Native Americans. And so I, my younger brother and I were at home and my other brother was telling us a story. And so I go to my parents, I go, he's telling this that, you know, I was raised with no grandparents outside of my grandma. And I just thought everyone died when they were, you know, they were old. I didn't know. And so to find out the truth, it just changed the whole, there was just a, a shift. So at the time we had the FBI outside of our house every day because anybody who was at Wounded Knee, they end up having people want to find out intelligence information of how are they getting in and out and getting weapons in and out. So um, I would just go out and talk to the FBI. And then I was telling them the story I was told and they were going, well, we've never heard this story. And I go, well, you should check it out. It's really, you know, this is a real story that happened to um, Henry Rome. And so the influence of early day law enforcement. So I spent 18 years becoming a criminal investigator, uh, a sergeant. Um, I was on a special operations team. I was a hostage negotiator. I also taught at the state police academy. I was one of the first women in the state, the first woman in the state of Oklahoma, let alone be a native woman to become a defensive tactics instructor. So I taught domestic violence, defensive tactics, and also on um, firearms. I enjoyed my career in law enforcement, but I ended up the last six years uh, doing nothing but focusing on sex crimes against women and children, which led me into a different advocacy role in Indian country. And then I went back to what my roots were as being in business. I used, when I was in like, um, I was like, uh, maybe about second grade. I used to hassle penny candy when penny candy was really a penny on the school bus. And I would sell because I never had milk money for a nickel. So oh. I'd give them, you know, I'd sell my candy. And so before I knew it, I was, um, um, I had that entrepreneurial spirit of making my own money. So I did a shift from law enforcement and I went into, um, I worked for the tribe um, for our tribal government, I ran in, in my 30s for um, our council and I didn't get it. But they liked my energy and stuff. They go, hey, do you want to be our run our office? And then I moved up to be a, um, a legislative aide. So that's I'm just going. I, there's a path to this story. Yeah. And then I and then I finally decided to get into business and, uh, and have had successful, several successful businesses. And then I was in tribal leadership for four years. And that time I did get out of council and I learned more about our oil and gas, which comes back to what happened to the land? What happened to the money? How did all this happen? And so I also feel like I was prepared to speak about this because um, Killers of the Flower Moon is a very important story not only for Indian country to learn lessons from, but also um, how they did the story is and how they worked with um, the Osage Nation as they prepared to make this movie. It was researched by David Brand for oh, six years before it even got, it came to um, become a, a book on the bestsellers list. He talked to many family members. I count him as one of a, a dear friend now. So if you're going to have a family story told, that would be the team to have that story told because their research team, it was so in-depth um, going through the archives and they even found out things that we didn't even know. So I learned a lot from that as well, this process. I just kind of told you that story in <laughs> about six, seven minutes, but 
That's who I am. And I'm currently in business now. And I've done a lot of national level work from a lot of nonprofits, from um, the National Center for American Indian Enterprise Development, the former chairwoman. I still enjoy sitting on that board. I was in Minneapolis. I was on the American Indian Cancer Foundation, and I'm a cancer survivor. And now I represent uh, the United Indian Nations of Oklahoma as their executive director, always working in policy advocacy and moving those, whether it's missing and murdered indigenous people, um, the National you know, uh, American Indian Healing Coalition. There's so many different issues that are brought to the forefront, but using my knowledge from law enforcement and business and tribal leadership has been, um, and serving on nonprofit boards has been a, a big help in um, being able to use my voice to talk about the tough issues and solutions towards them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Thank wow. you so much for being the role model that so many Native children need. Thank you. Appreciate you. Mm-hmm. So, gosh, this must be such a validating experience. Validating and healing because Mm. I do national speaking. I've been um, to different countries, spoken from the White House to all over Indian country. And then if I go over to Greyhorse, Oklahoma, and I speak about our people, the biggest lump would always get in my throat. I just felt that. It, there was so much, there was so much hurt, so much pain, so much um, uh, post-traumatic uh, stress syndrome over there that froze that community and froze the Osage people because the distrust. And so it was a systematic, again, I'll just quote what um, Scorsese would say that who wasn't in on it? It's not who done it, who wasn't in on it. And I, that was phrased perfectly because that was a lot of what, what had happened at the time. It touches, it touches the trauma, right? It touches the wound. Right. I think for a lot of people that are non-native, it's difficult to have those feelings really touch us uh, in the heart space. Uh, that loss, how deep that loss is and how difficult that loss is, unless we have our own personal trauma that we can draw upon and then project that onto your trauma, which, you know, that's discharging all kinds of energy that way. But that, but that's how empathy works too. And and I'm feeling that now as you s- share with us um, this heartache and, and the lump in your throat. And when you go back to to speak at Gray Horse, you know, what that does to you um, every time, but yet you're, you're there and you keep showing up and this healing keeps going on. And it's just, it, to me, it's so compelling to um, not just go to a theater and listen to a a film for two hours, but to, to dig a little deeper into my own history, but also, you know, understand who my neighbors are here on this land we call Turtle Island. You know, and I think part of the healing of this movie has been, where it used to be, don't talk about it, because even today we still live among their descendants as well. And that's that's part of it. So this movie has brought a healing to me. So if I go and speak about this, there isn't that lump. Mm. It's like, 
um, October 20th, everyone's going to see, even though, of course, this is a, a, a it was, a, the screenplay was written for um, the content of a movie, but the, but the reality is this is really what happened. And so um, there, there is a healing to it. And um, there's also a, um, some justice, I would say, mm-hmm. that um, hopefully this will do several things. Matthew, if it is able to change policy on the federal level, because you see exactly our trustee was not here. What is their core responsibility is to um, uh, the trust responsibility of the federal government. We sold, we weren't sold, it was taken from us. Acres and acres, millions of acres from the Osage for sure. Our former our land was what is common day Missouri, a little bit into the Ohio Valley, Kansas, part of Arkansas and three fourths of Oklahoma. Now we're down to 1.5 million square acres. That's nothing in the big scheme of things. And so in Oklahoma, Killers of the Flower Moon is on a banned book list. It can't even be taught. The historical truth can't even be told in our own schools because we have some school secretary of the education, our superintendent says, no, we don't want anyone to feel bad. But, you know, and at the same time that this, in fact, the same week that we started seeing a lot of the murders that had happened, the shootings, um, Mr. Whitehorn and Anna Brown were the same week that the Tulsa race massacre had happened, which is literally miles apart. Mm-hmm. Our Osage uh, reservation border is all the way to downtown Tulsa. Okay. It was, this was on the front page of, you know, the Tulsa world, the Tulsa um, newspapers. And, you know, um, the Klan was very much alive and active at that time. And so these are things they, they felt that why why is it that the black community is building up their community, have their own banks, their own lawyers, their own, um, they're successful. And then on the other side, you have the Osages who have uh, abundance of a natural resource that everyone was needing, oil and gas. So the jealousy of, of that is what causes the greed and um, and so that's that's how the story begins. Mm. Would you say that this intergenerational trauma in that area for both um, all, for both parties, right, the colonizers and the colonized, mm-hmm. you think that this film is going to help remedy some of that deep trauma for for the folks, you know, locally? I would hope. I would hope so. I would hope that. You know, you always ask yourself, what would a reasonable person think? What would a reasonable person do? So if you're seeing this is something that had happened 100 years ago, how much have we advanced? And so are, what are the next steps that we can do to make sure, number one, this will never happen again? You know, the other part is that we have to recognize, number one, it did happen. And it is part of this is not just my family history. It's Oklahoma history. It's American history. And we've got to tell it from both sides because that's important. That's how we learn to change. And there's so much that America can learn about 
our culture and our ways that are so good and kind and humble and respect from the oldest to the youngest. And we miss that. We miss this right now in our society. Until we get to learn to that part of healing, we are destined to be doomed here. If, you know, look at, I don't even want to talk about our politics in this country. I'll just get up mad. So. And when you're, when you're talking about human rights pieces in this film, Margo, it reminds me how the U.S. hasn't adopted UNDRIP, right? The United Nations Declaration. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that this is going to help create more critical minds to where folks are saying, why are we not adopting UNDRIP? My hope is that we will truly get to understand. And I think the medium is through uh, film and television documentaries, docuseries of telling these stories. Because now um, you think, look at the phenomenon of reservation dogs of people talking about and to watch that whole series. And plus, you know, to to see that it was filmed just right here in the Tulsa area. Um, but I got to, I'm not gonna kill it for anyone who hasn't seen all three seasons because it's very powerful. Um but that medium has brought the eyes on this is what's going on in these communities right here in you know um Oklahoma and um you know it's I think it's just it's a the right time and um we're telling our own stories but we're also partnering with you know look at um Leonardo and um Martin Scorsese you know that, that that's just a different level of uh, storytelling and then the, the native actresses and actors it's just you know just to be a part of this was one thing but to be in the movie was another and then also to know that this part of American history is going to be told and so, so many people said we had no idea no idea that this even what happened yeah and how how important it is to own your own story I'll say just don't own this story you know um imperative owns it um it's going to be made into a movie but what they did was smart and they worked hand in hand to get it right when I I will have to give you know, a big shout out to uh, Jeffrey Stanmere, our principal chief, the Osage. He just said, this is a difficult story to tell. This is, you know, a lot of people could get hurt. They're already hurt. I don't want to hurt them anymore by, you know, uh, telling this story. But on the other hand, we're going to offer these types of resources. Our language department worked with the script writers and the actors and the actors just did a phenomenal job of, of learning our ways and learning our culture, our food, our, um, they were even, they even attended our ceremonies, they were invited. And so it wasn't, to, it was to get them to see, you know what, kill us off, we're still here mm-hmm. and we're thriving and we're successful, but yet this is a part of history. I, I personally, I want, I want it told. I'm only talking about me personally because it's, you know, um, you know, and I have other family members who have different feelings about it, you know, but, you know, it makes sense to me why different times of the year, I would see my mom with sadness, and it was usually those anniversaries of the deaths, um, 
uh, birthdays they never she never got to be a part of. So she was orphaned at the age of seven years old. Her mother, you know, she never got to know her grandfather. Her grandparents were already passed on. So when I see other people and they talk about, oh, I've got all these different grandparents and great grandparents, and I just have to sit there and, you know, mine were murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you have to come to a place in that. So my blessing is the flip side of it is that now I get to be someone's grandmother and great grandmother. And so, and, and tell our stories. So that's the good part of it. Yeah. There's, 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 there's reciprocity when you're dealing with sacredness and relationships mm-hmm. are sacred. And this, this yes. story that, that imperative owns now, that's from your people, the Osage people, yeah. uh, they're, they're going to, you know, go make a blockbuster, you know, cash uh, flow. You know, they're going to, they're going to get rich on it. And yeah, that's, that's sort of a, a not a reciprocity. That's something else. It's an exchange. It's a trade. It's, it's a different kind of right. way of seeing. Yeah. Things. Well, I, I would say Apple because <laughs> they're the ones who finance it. But you know okay. what? I will say the team, they didn't have to work with us like they did. They didn't have to do anything. Ah, okay. It was in the community that we talked. This is what it meant. Ah. This is, you know, um, but sometimes if this is what it takes to get the story told, but they did it working hand in hand with us, that's the difference. So they also, during that time, they put, during COVID, they put over 700 um, background Osages and non-Osages and uh, non—I mean non-natives all to work. They uh, they utilized our our Osage artisans to make sure that our our tribal dress and the way that we lived back then was was on point for set direction um, using our articles, our eagle feathers, we weren't going, um, they did it as true to form as possibly could be done. Mm. Um, they had an incredible team, uh, the producers and, um, and we had a lot of, lot of young Osage people who were worked, um, behind the screen, you know, they were working on set, set direction, costumes. Um, so, uh, and then I have a, my great niece. She was uh, a production assistant and still has worked in that industry since then. Well, that t- that sounds like there's some reciprocity beginning to come in because they had a sense of the sacred. That, I mean, to yeah. me, that's what Leora talks about is so it's exactly what it's sort of like the healing balm that might be in this film is th- this reciprocal sacredness that a lot of us. Mm-hmm non-native people need to understand what sacred is we've our churches are are emptying out well why why are churches emptying out well because the sense of sacred is not in the church it's somewhere else we've lost touch with that well if you go along with that and i will i'm just going to quote the best i can what martin scorsese said when they were in that camp film festival i'm a new yorker yeah i was brought up on the streets i'm italian sicilian and he says i I thought I knew what respect was. I didn't know what respect was until I met the Osage people. 
because there's a respect for the the oldest to the very from the newborn everyone has a part to play and everyone has a place it's a sense of place that that's what an, a native community is and i'm not saying we're perfect by no means but there's a respect and there's also some humility that goes with that and um and i think that by working with them the the team the producers they caught that energy they caught that respect that they had not known and he says the osages taught me what respect is i thought i knew and so that's if if that can start the the spark to hit you know um to burn the flame then i'm i'm glad we we did our part and it's just going to take those small efforts across because this is going to be seen globally um and you know there's not a community that doesn't have their the another, other tribes that don't have similar or uh, other stories like this it just happened that this happened to be our story just happened that it had to be part of my family and and my friend Margie Burkhart's story and many others in our community we're left with 300 unsolved murders on our reservation here over the stealing of head rights and land I have a uh, one question I want to um maybe bring us to a close with um and unless Leora has more um and it has to do with the intersection of entrepreneurial spirit and indigenous genius and innovation um I know you're bearing witness to that now in your role as a Osage businesswoman on behalf of all of us you know being uh what looks like an ambassador for us as well when you when you sit there and you see this genius coming from our indigenous youth and 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 their innovation and how they can bring so much forward um how how do you take that entrepreneurial spirit and that that you need in in the business world how do you how do you bring those two together matthew i think we're just it's the next era of historically mm -hmm. historically native americans have been the original entrepreneurs of these lands yeah. Okay. So yeah, if you're familiar yeah. with St. Louis, uh, the Cahokia Mounds, um, my people were part of that area. Yeah. Um, so if you go back a thousand years, um, when they were building the mound builders, right. it's just as intricate uh, as you see in different uh, continents across the, the globe. And if you go in, if you ever had the opportunity to go to Cahokia Mounds, it's, it's just outside of, um, um, what is St. Louis? So when they unearthed it, they found pottery that would only be found from what is now common day Arizona and uh, New Mexico. They found turquoise there. It doesn't. It's not indigenous to um, St. Louis. That was the our world trade center. So the resurgence of entrepreneurism is what we're doing is giving our young people through the internet, the tools they are needing. That's why it's so important for our Indian communities to get broadband. This is a resurgence of entrepreneurism, but it's done in 2023-24 way of doing business. That's why we're seeing, I was never so proud of the, of the London Vogue copy of 
of Lily Gladstone and Leonardo DiCaprio, and they're using so many Native artisans who would never had that opportunity to have their art showcased on that level. And so um, we're we're just seeing, it's just our time right now. And so I'm very proud of it. I just have one last question for you. And if it's, if it's too much, totally fine. But you bring so much agency that contributes towards self-determination, decolonization, and intergenerational healing. But how do you see this film how do you see non-Native people responding to the messages in it? You know, I'll tell you what I've been doing. And it's um, because it, I went back and I um, I think what made me a good uh, criminal investigator is the ability to watch people, not what they say, but what their actions are and how they're reacting. And so when they had... Um, screen Killers of the Flower Moon. And if you look at another country that was reading subtitles and watching the story, and it impacted them just like it had impacted me when I saw it, that tells you the ability to invoke that type of emotion through telling of a story. But I'm talking to my um, great grandson, I'm teaching him. Even though I get will just get a little time with him, what it means to be a part of this community. And the more that I think that you can teach what it is to be a part of any community is that you have to do your part, whether it's volunteering, whatever, whatever your given gifts are, do it, volunteer, participate, speak up. Um Use your knowledge of of and your experiences to to help this community because we were lacking so many of that. Because I've got grandkids in all different generations, and I have to learn to communicate with them with every different little. I've got grandkids who are from the age of twenty. Let's see, I've come from babies to our. I think the youngest is like I think he's nine months, and then my oldest grandchild is twenty eight. So you just have to learn those intergenerational relationships because now I have all of my older grandkids are all want to know our family story. And this is also a good way that no matter long after I'm gone, they can see their grandma, <laughs> you know, just uh, go on Apple TV and they'll be able to see, you know, and that's important to leave that part of the legacy too, of this storytelling and to be able to see this is who you come from. So. Wow. Thank you so much for your gifts. And thank you so much for your medicine. All right. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram on Broken Lands Pod. We're also on Facebook. Miigwech. Minokiko Abamanth.